FKT, shorthand for fastest known time, is essentially a speed record on any given route. Anyone at any time on any day can try to break a record and set a new FKT. After a serious car accident took him off the roads, today's guest shifted from marathons and Ironmans and took his training to the trails and mountains, where he found a passion for what I'll call creative athletic pursuits. If you visit the official FKT website, fastestknowntime.com, you'll see the name Jason Hardrath at the top of the leaderboard with a whopping 94 FKT efforts. Part cartographer, mountaineer, race director, athlete, and a dozen other skills, Jason just might be the Dave McGillivray of FKTs, a prolific route builder in his own right. You'll love hearing how Jason strings together routes and how he feels when others find them, complete them, and occasionally set their own FKT on his creations. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I am your host, Troy Bousseau. It is January 27th, 2021, and this is episode 28. How's it going, Jason? I can't complain. It was a day of teaching, rode skateboards with my students. It, it was fun. You're, you're way cooler than my uh, previous PE teachers. My, my <laughs> PE teachers used to wear those nylon. Remember the bike shorts, the bike brand? With the, like the three yes. snaps and super tight. And yeah, that was, uh, those are my <laughs> PE teachers. They didn't ride skateboards. <laughs> that's a, that's a classic look. <laughs> that is the quintessential male and female polo collar and the bicycle, uh, or bike shorts. Yeah. It was, uh, you can go, you, you kids can go out there and Google it. I'm sure you can get some Google image searches on those shorts. Yeah, well, welcome to the podcast, Jason Hardrath. Uh, we had a couple of technical difficulties getting off the ground, but we are officially um, off the ground, and uh, it's great to have you on the uh, on the podcast. We are going to get super deep into the world of FKTs today, so I can't wait because it's something that uh, I have a funny athlink story about FKTs um, uh, as we get into things. But um, yeah, it's it's great to have you on, and you are you are one bad mofo. The name suit you hard wrath because you've been doing some pretty epic stuff this year you're how many how many fkts are you into your hundred goat quest i have done 94 different fkts oh shit i should have waited six more and had you on on the hundred <laughs> oh all right we'll end this well, maybe we'll, you'll have to have me back yeah we'll come back <laughs> yeah so the funny thing so athlinks the original name of athlinks was virtue race and what Virtue Race was, I've always sort of equated it more to Strava than anything else because it was sort of Strava before smartphones and things like that. But really the idea behind Virtue Race was FKTs. It was that you would create these courses or go to standard, you know, like Camelback Mountain in Phoenix or the Central Park 10K course, things like that. And then everybody would sort of upload their own times to these things. And this was 20 years ago. Um, and so then it sort of quickly evolved over the first couple of years into athletes and aggregation of race results and things like that. But it was as I started reading more and more about FKTs, I'm like, yeah, that's it's that's a better um, parallel to Virtue Race than I think even Strava was. So um, I'm I'm really looking forward to digging in. So yeah. it sounds like this will be a fun conversation. I think it will, <laughs> and I'm I'm sort of on my my chasing 50 journey right now. So I, I turn 50 this year and I'm going to do a 50 miler at some point in the summer. I think it'll probably be silver rush up in Leadville, but I'm still, um, I'm still weighing the altitude and other things versus doing something a little bit more, 
uh, closer to the wheelhouse. But you know, I guess I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna take your lead. If I'm gonna do some epic stuff, might as well make it super epic. So maybe Silver Rush is the one. I I lean toward going big. If yeah. if a goal both excites you and scares you, it's probably the right decision. That's probably right. <laughs> yeah, that is good. I and mean, I mean. 50 is a nice big number. So, I mean, you don't want to like under celebrate it, right? <laughs> that is true. It's funny. I w- you know, I hadn't even done the math. I'd committed to doing this 50 miler and I was, um, I, don't know, I was about three hours into a run the other day and I realized I just, I had never done the math and I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, nine minute miles probably at altitude, you know, times 50. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> That's it's 450 minutes. That's a long ass time. So we'll see. I don't know what I got myself into, but I'm just gonna, I think I, I heard you on another podcast where you were talking about not thinking about the hundred miles, but thinking about the mile you were running at the moment. So I'm keeping that in perspective and I'm going to be thinking about the mile I'm in, not the, not the 90 or the 49 that I've got in front of me. Yeah. And I mean, I can't take, I can't take credit for coming up with that. I mean, people have been saying oh, run yeah. the mile you're in for a long yeah, time and sure. I, I think it's it's a great mindset. And actually, just to take a quick aside here, I think one of the benefits of choosing a route that has some challenges in it is it gives you a, a different way to mentally break it up. Like, okay, yeah. I'm just saving up for the big climb. All right, I'm going to get through the big climb really smart. All right, now I'm at the top. Okay, now I have the descent. You know, you can like break it yeah. down into these bigger chunks than just the miles. Yeah. And... I personally, I think with the ultra marathon distances, you have to do that. You can't be thinking, okay, here's mile one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I did Leadville heavy half, which is only 15 and a half miles a few years back. And I was so intimidated by the altitude, some stories that people were telling me. Uh, I'm not really a super long distance guy. So 15 and a half was a good, you know, long day for me at the time. And, um, and I had one of the best races of my life because I was afraid, because I was sort of thoughtful in my preparation. I was thoughtful going up, you know, hitting the base of Mosquito in a certain amount of time and then going up Mosquito. I I got to the top of Mosquito and was like, holy cow, like I'm super fresh. And then it's just an, you know, eight and a half mile bomb straight downhill, you know, and as long as you can keep from cramping, uh, it's a good day. And so I had a good day. And then the next year I went back and did not have the same level of respect. And I blew up. It was an awful day awful day. Yep. Nope. That's how it goes. That's, I mean, with, with the efforts I do that having that respect for what you're out on is like essential because you're out there alone, you're in technical terrain. And so it demands that sort of, that sort of perfection, if you will. Yeah, for Um, sure. And, and I think that's important because I mean, that's part of, that's part of the richness of the experience when you feel like you have to be 100% dialed. Um, I don't know. It just adds, it adds, a degree of beyond ordinary living to every aspect of life. Cause you're just so like tuned in. And so you, I mean, you came from, you know, more of the traditional races. I mean, you've got, you know, tons of Ironmans and, and, and half irons and, and marathons, you know, I th- saw like a 250 marathon in Newport. Um, and then it seems like you kind of like caught some ultra bug that took you off of those beaten paths and, uh, uh, put you up into some really, you know, uncharted territory, literally. So I was surprised how much, because I didn't really fully understand the whole mindset and idea behind FKT. And I mean, it goes way beyond ultra, right? I mean, you are 
orienteering, mountaineering, you are bushwhacking, <laughs> you are part race director, part timer, uh, part travel agent. I mean, it, it really is sort of uh, like you're out there like a Magellan style, just exploring it, which is pretty badass. I I love the way you just captured like all that goes into these efforts. I love that you include that it's part race director. It's it's the the, the routes I choose yeah. because of my particular skill sets and background are routes that key in on rock climbing experience, mountaineering experience, glacier travel. Um, but yeah, there's always this element of you are your own travel agent and you you are your own logistics person. So basically, all the things a race director does for you, um, and you know, your own emergency services, right? You got to know your bailouts. You got to know, you know, who's going to come and get me if something goes wrong. Like all of that yeah. is all on your own shoulders, which is very unique and different from a race. And I think races like are wonderful. Like they serve the purpose of the opposite where it's like, okay, I'm going to pay someone else to take all that off the table. So I'm running an experiment on my fitness. Yeah. Um, and FKTs, it's like, okay, you still show up with the fitness, but also you're taking all that other stuff back on your shoulders. And for me, I find that mental engagement to add a heightened degree to the experience because I have to do everything ahead of time to be ready for the effort. During the effort, I have to be very aware of where I am and the decisions I'm making and my exit points and all those things. Um, and then, you know, finishing up, you still got to get yourself out of there and pick up any of, if you did like a self-supported effort where you dropped your own caches, you got to go pick all that stuff up. Um, and then head off home for a shower and a beer. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I was totally unaware of like, and and I'm sure that there are many different ways of doing FKTs. The way that I, I was reading how you're doing these things is the amount of preparation that seems to go into a lot of these things and visualization and things like that and making sure that, you know, it's not just like grabbing the grabbing the shoes and, you know, heading out on the trail and just going running 50 miles. It's It's like you know, a lot of, again, orienteering, but almost, you know, kind of, um, I don't know what the term is, but in, in sort of, um, you know, it's almost like map making where you're looking at terrain thinking, okay, there's a road over here. There's a road over here. How do I connect the two? What equipment am I going to need? You know, as far as like a machete or whatever, I don't know what you carry in, in country or into the bush with you. Uh, but it seems like there's some machetes involved and things like that. Like the, um, I don't know. It's just, it, it seems like it, it is such a cerebral type of exercise that leads into then, not that you leave the cerebral behind you, but the amount of, um, I'm assuming legwork you do up front limits the amount of thinking you have to do deep into these, um, FKTs, but, uh, it sure seems to make the physical that much more enjoyable and rewarding, I would guess. Absolutely. Especially if it's a route that I also like thought up myself yeah. or saw where I saw the sort of the aesthetic line and I'm like, oh man, connecting, you know, for example, I've done a few where like I've connected a, a couple of classic rock climbs and, and then, you know, found a line to connect them like off trail and connecting trails. Yeah. And, you know, an experience like that where you take something that's already something a person would travel for by itself and you go, okay, now you're also going to get this beautiful run yeah. and another classic experience that people travel for all at once. And like the infinity loops I did on the volcanoes over here in the Pacific Northwest um, on Mount Rainier and on Mount Hood, Adams and Mount Shasta. 
those are kind of the same thing. Like people show up just to backpack around those over the course of three or four days to see the mountain from every side, which is an amazing experience with a volcano since they sort of stick up into the sky out of, you know, with nothing else around them. Um, and so you get that sort of intimate experience with the mountain, being able to see every face and aspect, but also you climb it when you do an infinity loop, you go over the mountain twice over the course of the effort. You imagine drawing a figure eight or an infinity loop over the top of a mountain with the the center of the eight, basically at the summit of the mountain. Yeah, so you um, described this on on in one of your write-ups really well. So basically the idea is that you would typically go over top, so you'd start in one spot, you would go, you would try to bisect it, right? Go directly over top to the exact opposite side and then do a half circle in one direction or the other, right? And then go back over and then go come back the other way. Is that? Exactly. Okay, okay. You nailed it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, so that would be an infinity loop. Yeah. Okay. And so you, like I didn't, re- I mean, so when you're out there and you're mapping these trails and are there like, I mean, I've gotten yelled at before for stepping off of a, off of a trail before, like a, you know, a, um, whatever, a, a sheriff or whatever, you know, yelled at me for getting off trail. How tight or how, like how within the bounds and the rules and all that stuff of nature, do you have to stay with these things? Are you, is this kind of like a bandit move or what do you, what's the, what are the rules that govern all this? So, I mean, there's a lot of nuance here. Um, if you're running a well-established trail, like the Wonderland trail or the PCT you need to stay on that trail step for step. Don't cut the switchbacks. Don't blow down a hillside and like ruin the, you know, plant life or, you know, blow through the edges of the switchback and ruin the trail. Like that's as taboo as it is for any backpacker. Um, Unacceptable behavior when you're, you know, out for an FKT as well. But if you're on a mountain route where that mountain route is going to change based on what season you're in, whether there's crevasses or glaciers or snow cover or scree fields, then it's more open to interpretation where it's sort of understood like to safely go up and down a mountain, you make a ton of route finding decisions to not get you or anyone in your party hurt or killed. Um, So it's a very different sort of environment. And a person that wants to do these FKTs that mix a variety of these um, sort of cultures, if you will, communities, you know, there's a backpacking community, there's running community, there's uh, mountaineering community. You sort of have to have an awareness of, well, what is the normal fair play? What is the normal behaviors? Also, what are the skills I need to have to know yeah. when I need to switch between these modes? Yeah. Um, and so like, uh, you know, again, an infinity loop is a great example of that. When you're climbing the routes to go over the mountain and descend to the other side, you, you're sort of looking at the whole width and breadth and depth of the route going, okay, what is the best line today? Got it. That's going to keep me the safest and still efficient because I want to move fast. Um, but then you get down on the trail and you kind of mentally shift gears where it's like, all right, now I'm following the trail. Yeah. Um, so you kind of, you kind of actually toggle mid effort, like multiple times <laughs> yeah. between these different ways of, of, of interpreting the route. So, you know, like I'll, I'll drive down I-70 or whatever it is the, to get to, you know, like Breckenridge and Vail and stuff. And so, you know, I'll look at these amazing mountains and things and you're like, well, you don't go, you don't go run over those things, right? There's trails down here, but you're a guy who kind of looks at that mountain and says, okay, so we would run over this right here. This is where, and then we'll run across the ridge line. And, and I mean, is that, so I guess let's take a, another step back because I don't want to keep interrupting you as you get into the storytelling, but so an FKT 
definition wise, like what are the boundaries of this? Is it literally just anything you can dream up and, and sort of execute in one go is an, and, and, uh, you know, not break the laws, obviously. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a super wide gamut. Like the guidelines allow it to be a very wide thing. There's, you know, I think of like the 7,200 miles of the great Northern or the great Western loop where you're doing, um, what is it? The CDT and the PCT and I forget the connecting trail. And then there's, uh, the, you know, the calendar triple crown, which you do PCT, CDT, AT, you know, again, over 7,000 miles. And so there are these huge things and combinations of huge things. But then also there are these routes, for example, a buddy of mine, who's a great route climber, who's putting up first ascents all over the Sierras. Um, he did an FKT on a one mile loop that made a loop out of a super classic rock climb. Mm. So you run from your car mm-hmm. down the descent trail and then ascend this five, seven classic rock climbing route on beautiful California granite. Wow. Um, and it's like only a mile long, but it is a classic 15 minutes of your life. Wow. Um, to go, go go have this experience, you know, making these moves on this great route with beautiful views. So it's like there's this super wide gamut where it can go way down to something small or way up to something big. But I think the important thing people need to understand that's the difference between an FKT, a fastest known time, yeah. um, and like a Strava segment is a Strava segment might be from the Dutch bros in town <laughs> to the bike shop in town, right? right. Um, like super local yeah. not distinct and memorable, not necessarily yeah. something anyone would care to do unless they happen to be passing through town and staying at the hotel or they yeah. live there. Um, FKTs, on the other hand, is like a curated, this is the best of a region or this is a yeah. classic experience on a national or even international level. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm creating these routes, I put in a ton of research, like what what are people's opinions of you know, who have climbed these routes in any style, whether it's mountaineering or rock climbing or whatever, are they routes that are well-respected, well-appreciated, or as, you know, my friend found a completely classic route that was able to be turned into a loop. Um, Those are the things I'm looking for, you know, not just like some lame single pitch climb that it's like, well, I'll just like run from my (laughs) car and yeah. And run and go up this right. So there's there's a difference. Like there's stuff you do for fun and for training, and then there's things where you know. Yeah. And this is the thing that the FKT website puts out is others should want to repeat it, and that's not like your neighbor should yeah. want to repeat it, but like right. others from anywhere who happen to see this should yeah. sort of see it. And and my my measurement is when I see something and I'm like, wow, I want to go experience that. Like seeing a ridgeline, like you mentioned, like ridgelines totally speak to me. Volcanoes and ridgelines are like my thing. And so I see one where it's like super aesthetic and I can't find any like research out there about people who have done it yeah. uh, in like a light and fast push. That's like, oh man, I have to do that. Got to do it. Um, that's like, it calls to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's almost so, yeah. like a, like the Strava segments are, it's kind of like a um, quantity over quality kind of argument. You know, it's like the FKT stuff seems like this epic double dog dare, you know, like where you're just like, oh, no, you didn't. Really? You know, I can just imagine looking at some of these things going, well, all right, I guess I know what I'm doing next weekend. You know, I'm going to go try to chase Jason down, you know, some 
some crazy loop that he created or whatever. So I would assume there's sort of like a cottage industry for you in, in terms of being able to carve out these. Like, I would assume that you start following certain people. Like, okay, like I want to I wanna go do a Hardrath FKT. I want to do the course that this guy who's being very thoughtful and it's not just a bomb up, bomb down, kind of get back in your car and go home type of thing. It's like, you know, I would assume you start to get a following on certain people who like your style of thinking on, on, a, on a course. Is that accurate to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, that's one of the things I probably, I mean, it's super awesome. I'm doing all these FKTs and like breaking these records and establishing some of my own. But the thing I actually love the most is when I create a fresh route. Yeah. by doing the research in an area and finding a way to link up like things that exist there in a new fresh way. Yeah. Um, for example, I did one in Capitol Reef National Park that linked four of the uh, main tourist attraction uh, canyons. You know, none of them are that difficult. One of them is a little bit, has a few like obstacles, that, like waterfalls you have to bypass or climb that are just short. Um, but it, I, I made it into a four canyon loop that's basically a marathon in distance. Cool. And I got so many people who were like, that is so awesome. And <laughs> some people who went out and did it and like, thank you for this amazing experience. And that to me, uh, when I take the time to build it and I think it through and I put in the time and I connect the dots and I go out there and I do it. And then people, excuse me, but lose their shit over it. Yeah. And that's like, yes. That's gotta be To me, that's a, that's a contribution to the community, right? Like that leaves something behind for others to do like my records will all get beaten someday i'm not i'm not the guy that's going to set the record that yeah. nobody can beat yeah um, but can i leave behind stuff that's super inspiring and maybe some athlete someday who is nearly impossible to beat decides yeah. i want to go do this route yeah that to me is something i can do well it's interesting like it's almost you know you're in a way you're like the dave mcgillivray of of old of like ultra or fkts you know it's like you're you are uh, you know, you're out there like as a race director, essentially, like really thinking hard about, okay, where does this course go? I had Ted Kennedy on the podcast who was one of the the guys who brought Ironman North America in and he was instrumental in establishing the first, you know, like Lake Placid and Wisconsin and those different courses. And the amount of time that they put into creating those courses and making sure that they're accessible, fun, safe, all of those things, um, yeah, it's kind of like you're the Dave McGillivray of FKTs in a way, you know? Well, that's, I mean, that <laughs> that's a huge compliment. So I, I don't know what to do with that one, but yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. You know, I mean, again, it's like, I can't, I, I've, you know, I've been at a million start and finish lines. I've been around this industry for a long time. And there's nothing better than standing next to the race director as you see, whether it's the start or the finish or the national anthem at the start and, you know, the knowing the amount of time and energy that went into creating this course and this event down to the medals and all of the other things that, that go into creating this experience that other people are going to enjoy. And, and for you to be kind of doing this same thing where they're really going to be enjoyed like onesie twosie, you know, like one person at a time are going to be enjoying these, these routes that you're creating. I just, I think it's, I think there's a great parallel in there. I think it's super inspiring and, and just a really cool side, side, uh, sidebar to the whole story of FKTs. So, yeah. It's, it's an amazing community to be a part of. And I mean, you know, the fun part to me as well is since I, 
I intentionally took this goal, this journey to 100 FKTs on because I knew it would grow me as an athlete. That, you know, basically fastest known times are a game that as you play it, it gets harder to play because other people are breaking the records too. Yeah. Um, so it's like I knew <clears throat> as I was progressing through, it's like, oh, times around me where I was like looking at a time on a course where it's like, oh, I think I can beat that time. Most likely, if I'm looking at all these different courses, some of them are going to get beaten before I can get there. So yeah. it's like the game is going to get harder as I play it. And I knew because of that, I was going to have to like grow and expand and increase bo both my fitness and my ability, my skill sets as an athlete. And sure enough, like I discovered canyoneering on, in slot canyons in Utah, it kind of as uh, some of them, I, like I found some that were just like cool runnable loops. And that immediately triggered in my mind, like, wait a minute, what about not the fully technical ones that are dangerous that like. Yeah you know, putting someone inexperienced into it could uh, like cause them to end up trapped and need search and rescue to be activated. Yeah. But like ones that are semi-technical, so it's more like nature's obstacle course race. And I developed skill sets around mount or around uh, canyoneering and put up some fresh routes. Um, one, in, one in particular, another like short one. Um, and it's kind of fun. It stands out in my mind because there's this uh, this fellow who actually writes the newsletter. He's one of the people who writes the newsletter for the fastest known time website. And he's been following, you know, one of the people who's been following my brand, so to speak, you know, the types of routes I put up for, for pretty much since I started, he's mm. been aware of me. And after all this time, the first route he's actually commented on was this one that was just a 2.6 mile loop where you up climb a slot canyon, which is a pretty rare occurrence that you can up climb that, that a canyon exists that you can completely up climb safely. Okay. But you up climb one branch of the canyon and then descend the other branch. Um, and he writes in, he writes in to me, he's like, Oh, this route is awesome. Like full throttle, all out obstacle course racing style. This is my jam. And I'm like, you know, infinity loops and tr picnic triathlons and free soloing routes. And this is the route that gets you. And he's like, yeah, man, this is, this is my jam. I'm like, cool. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. You, you had, um, you had quoted on the, your Shasta infinity loop post about, um, you become the story you tell yourself, um, about Chad Kellogg who created that loop, um, apparently in, in, did he die before he was ever able to execute it? He thought up the original um, Infinity Loop on the uh, Mount Rainier. Okay. Using uh, Mount Rainier and the Wonderland Trail that goes around it. Got it. And so he's the one that coined the name. And so it's kind of his his yeah. legacy. Um, and a, a thing he used to say to people often is you become the story you tell yourself. Such a great quote. And that, that resonates with me because I've been a person who... I've made decisions in my own life. I read a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years as a, as a teenager. Mm. And that book compares living your life to what are the elements of a great story? If we love it in a movie, if we love it in a book, why don't we live it? That's <laughs> um, great so question. I've actually made, I've made decisions in my life, literally yeah. along the lines of, well, which is going to be the better story? Like if I'm sitting there, if I have to read my own book, if somebody forces me to read my own book at the end of my life, I better make it like not super boring. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great, I mean, it's such a simple, it's such an almost like, as you say it, it's so obvious, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's a better way of saying like do epic shit or whatever the, you know, the things are, but like, yeah, thinking about I'm sitting here on this rock feeling this way 
And where does the story go? What's the what's the movie I want to watch? Is it the movie where the guy gets up and goes and climbs that thing or, you know, swims across that river? Or is it the one where he turns around and goes back to his car because he's, you know, feeling queasy that day? Huh. That's yeah. interesting. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's tough to live with man wow um what was i gonna say off of that i was i was just reading a, a book um irresistible by adam alter have you read this it's uh it's I've all about heard of it i have not read it yet yeah behavioral addiction and, and one of the ways um one of the ways that they look at things is the using the phrase i don't versus i can't to break addictions, right? And where I can't is this like parent telling you, you can't do that thing. It just makes you want to do it more versus I don't. And I've been thinking about that, like on my long days where it's like, I would always tell myself like, oh, I can't quit. And I've been using the phrase now, you don't quit. Like you're not a quitter, you don't quit. And that that type of mindset. And I will say that it is it has definitely helped because that I can't quit the next logical sentence is, well, of course I can quit. <laughs> you know, I can quit. I can stop doing this thing. But when it's, when it's, I don't, and you identify with that, when you're out on these, these like massive efforts. And, um, again, I was reading one of your posts where you were feeling super queasy, but you were like, well, I can do 20 miles six. So let me just keep going forward. Like where, um, where do you take your, mind like do you practice the mental side a lot versus just kind of knowing your limits like is it does it become a wow today was supposed to be a physical day but now I'm embracing this like okay cool it's a mental day I get to work this muscle or how do you think about like really hard mental days absolutely I think I I mean to me my exercise is very much intellectual very much mental um I pay a ton of attention to both the the mechanics of how you achieve certain mental states and how you mitigate certain negative mental states and also a lot to the like the intuitive sense the the internal experience of it and i mean for one uh, like for a long time uh, there, there's like photos of me from back in my bike racing days Again, it's fun to me that, you know, you run Athlink, so like you could look up any of these results you want that are electronically timed. Yeah. Um, so as you know, I used to race bikes and there's photos of me from those, those bike races um, where I'm smiling like ear to ear as all the other guys in the Peloton are like grimacing. Yeah. And I'm like shooting off toward the front in this, in this race. And it's like the sort of the mental thing there for me is it's like, oh, the fun, like it, we're just messing around until it starts to hurt. Mm. And once it starts to hurt, that's okay. Now we've arrived. Now it's real. Yeah. Here we go. Um, and like having a mental approach like that to entering the pain cave. Yeah. And then the other thing I like to, I, 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 another concept I have that I toss around is like, once you, you get in that state of suffering of it being difficult, like beyond what you anticipated, I, I humorously say my, my pain caves decorated. Like I've spent so much time there that it feels like home. Like, Oh, here we are. Yeah. I'll just kick up. I'll kick up on the recliner here and, and tune into the game. Got a purple velvet um, couch in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I say that in a sense to a deeper thing that it's like, 
sort of abiding in it and and learning from um, being present with the the danger, what's inside a person if your life is easy. Right. And so oftentimes when these hard times come, we just are thinking like, oh, I can't wait till I get to the beer and the cheeseburger at the end. Like, no, don't don't try to mentally bypass where you're at. Like be in that moment. Yeah. Cause that's where you're gonna learn who you are when when you're when you're broken down, when you're sleep deprived, when you're fatigued, when your muscles want to stop, or your brain is screaming at you to stop using your muscles, and you look down and you go, Nope, my feet are still moving forward. So therefore, not done yet. Wow. Um, and so that all comes in. But then I think I think my superpower, like beyond just being able to grind and being able to suffer, is I think sometimes we lose sight of what it's like to be a little kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm lucky. I'm a, I'm a school teacher at elementary level. So I have the opportunity of being able to speak to that um, and, and experience that from my young students uh, constantly. Yeah. And so, oh, one second. Just checking on stuff. The janitor's coming in to clean my office right now. (laughs) It looks like he's done some miles. Yep. Um, Yeah, they haven't been getting to this very often. Supposed to do it every day. They definitely haven't been. That's scheduled every day to come over here. That's been sitting like that for a while. You can uh, let whoever needs to know know. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. Was your nickname at Portland Marathon Hammer? Or is that <laughs> Hammer Nutrition sponsor? That was an old nickname that existed for a very short <laughs> amount of time. I'm looking, I'm looking at a bib for those of you. We won't have video, unfortunately, for this episode, but you've got a Portland Marathon bib back there with hammer uh, on the wall. So that was pretty funny. <laughs> All right. So I'm sorry. We, we, we broke our train of thought. We had a little interruption there, but uh, you were saying mental side. Um, oh, yeah. So I have the wonderful privilege. I work with, I work with young people, so I get to see how kindergartners go about yeah. playing and how second graders go about playing. And I think one of a superpower that we can have, because I, I sort of think of, of it like different channels in the brain. And if you're using anger to power through something, like that's useful. That like powers up your adrenaline and you can push through stuff, but it's a finite resource. At some point you're gonna that's you you can't run an entire 50 yeah. miles on just grit my teeth and be angry at myself and yeah. test my way to the finish line. Like you will run out of that fuel line before you hit the finish line. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm out doing these hundred plus mile efforts, I'll shift into a state of play. Like I'll, I'll sort of age regress, if you will. Like what would a little kid like who, who has the opportunity to go climb on this or scamper across this or slide down a snowfield, how would they behave and how would they feel about it? And like just giving myself permission to experience it as someone who's very young in a novel way, like suddenly the effort level drops significantly. And I'm just a little kid out there. And that's why oftentimes you'll hear me refer to places as playgrounds. Like I'm mentally experiencing it sort of like a kid on a new playground. Like, oh, I get to run down this giant snow field. Awesome. Yeah. Um, And so it doesn't become about this big effort. It doesn't become about racing the clock. 
it's just a kid who's like, hey guys, look how fast I can go. Yeah. Woo! You know, <laughs> and getting back into that that sort of state of play, that state of fun. And that's a different channel, right? It's, yeah. it's a very useful channel. It's it it lowers that perceived effort. It releases that sense of a reward and that play, that dopamine. Um, oftentimes it can like reset your whole like mental clock, so to speak, where yeah, instead of it being like, oh man, I've been pushing for, for eight hours now. It's like, oh wait, what just happened? That was really fun. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, your muscles are still more fatigued than they were, but it's like that, that mental side is so important. Um, and being able to shift those mental gears and toggle yeah. those mental channels, so to speak. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish the physical parts of, of ultras and this type of effort, but you can always, you can always physically, well, not always, but 99% of the time you can always physically go longer. Right. And it is that mental side of things that, um, it's just so easy to quit mentally um, and just stop and just say like, eh, today's not my day or, you know, let me just sit here and rest for 10 minutes or whatever. And, and keeping that mental side super fresh. I love that approach of kind of childlike play and thinking about it, like really thinking about it differently, not just saying, okay, I'm going to stop counting or I'm going to start counting my steps or stop counting my steps or, you know, tell myself 10 more steps, but just completely shift the mindset. Um, also in that book that um, uh, uh, Irresistible, there are great studies about ignoring it does not work. Like where you try to ignore an emotion or anything like that, it just doesn't work. Like you can't just void out the emotion. Um, it actually enhances it. They did a study where they had people watching a video of somebody going through something distressing and half the people were told, suppress that emotion in yourself, don't be afraid. And then the other half were really told like, embrace it, like embrace the fear. And the people who embrace the fear in themselves saw less fear in the person they were watching. And the opposite was true of the other people. So like trying to suppress these things and telling yourself it doesn't hurt and you're fine and all of these other things can oftentimes make it worse. Um, studies have shown. So I love that idea of just, now we're going to go 90 degrees from here. We're going to go right instead of left and just say, you know, we're, we're little kids running down a mountain here. Well, and I mean, something you just said is very powerful and a big part of, of the mental practice. Since I do things that are inherently dangerous with mm -hmm. my skill sets, um, you know, I've, I've told the story of the uh, Rainier Infinity Loop where I was traversing on a ledge that was basically an ice ledge that was half a boot width uh, thick. Oh, dude. Um, and down below me was a crevasse you could drop a school bus into um, with maybe most likely enough time that I could have arrested my fall if I executed my skills perfectly. But still, it's like, that's a pretty narrow window. Yeah. And like, worst, you know, worst case scenario is like, I could, I could drop into that crevasse. Um, and being able to like that, it, that fear is going to come. That's okay. It should, um, to embrace and accept sort of calmly accept that. We got a nice that toilet, experience. toilet flush on, <laughs> on the podcast. Yep. Super, super great. Perfect. Perfect timing. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. Um, let's see, where was I before that? You were, um, you were, you were shimmying across a boot, boot width ledge uh, into yeah. a crevasse. Basically, I guess not a half a boot width, but half a boot length. So like yeah. the, your forefoot fits Either on Either way. Right? And so you're shimmy, shimmying across this and 
at any point, like if, if something goes wrong and like you're double checking everything. And I mean, as a, as a experienced mountaineer, I'm like very aware at this point in the yeah. effort of the snow conditions, the ice conditions, like what the consistency is. Right. So I'm like reading the terrain, but still like you get in a situation where those instincts, you know, we all have fear of heights, right. Those kick in for everybody. And to acknowledge those and to accept them and, and to circle back to something we talked about earlier, uh, where I mentioned living your life as a story where you're going to have to read that story at the end of life, pondering the end of life. I think, I don't just think like, I mean, look at any ancient wisdom culture. A lot of philosophy is about pondering our own mortality. A lot of wisdom comes out of considering the end and we're able to arrive at the things we value the most when we consider what we're going to care about at the end of our life. And along with that is being willing to embrace as your mind wants to, you know, when I, when I solo routes, like my mind wants to run the alternate scenarios where I don't succeed at the route that I'm confident I can execute the moves on. And I, I embrace that visualization as a part of the process, as a part of the experience. Like I can't just want the successful yeah. experience where I make it to the top without having to experience any negative emotions. I have to be willing to embrace the full gamut of what it is to take that project on. And I don't know if that gets talked about super often. I know Alex Honnold did a pretty good job of alluding to it <laughs> in his process and in interviews after the fact uh, when that free solo documentary yeah. came out. Um, so if, if people are interested in more discussion <clears throat> on this, that's that's one direction they can go. But you so have to you, embrace the whole the whole of the picture. So what does that look like for you in terms of like visualizing failure, I guess, in a way, um, said another another way, or maybe I missed your point, but it, it sounded like you were sort of like, okay, you know, I'm halfway up or halfway through this FKT and I'm hurting, I'm thinking about quitting or whatever it is, right? And you're, so you're letting your mind, rather than shutting that off, you're letting your mind go there. And so do you visualize like how you would feel if and when you fail? Do you picture yourself, you know, sitting there having failed? Like what, what's the process for you? <clears throat> excuse me. Um, again, like a lot of visualization, uh, excuse me, a lot of visualization goes in on the front end before it ever happens. It. And I've done enough of these. I've been around the block, so to speak, enough times that a lot of that visualization, visualization for all types of experiences has yeah. been done multiple times. But if I'm out there and stuff is going sideways, oftentimes I still have the mental facilities to consider like, okay, my mind is coming up with all these reasons that this is dangerous and this is risky and I'm tired and I should quit and it's cold and I'm barely keeping myself warm. Um, You know, it's the middle of the night and I'm sleepy and I can't lay down and rest because it's, again, it's cold. Um, Like it's running through all these things and be like, oh man, maybe we should just bail here. And you know, kind of then also being able to run through and be like, okay, you know, am I still able to execute my skills with a degree of proficiency that I am safe? Okay, I'm still, I'm still executing, like I'm not wobbling all over the place or falling down on myself, um, which, you know, would be a pretty big indicator. I shouldn't be climbing a mountain anymore on an exposed route. Um, it's like, okay, like the process is still working. So if I, if I know that about myself, if I can honestly take a, a, an assessment of myself and see that the progress is still being made in a safe fashion, 
then it's pretty easy for me to like play that out. Like, okay, if I bail just because of how uncomfortable and sleep deprived and fill in the blank with all the discomforts of this world, if I, if I yield to that discomfort, even though I know I can observe that I'm still executing the process, I know I will be disappointed. Yeah. Got it. But if I'm out on a route, and the opposite is true. Even if I'm feeling like am like I'm in a driven moment where I'm like, this is great. I'm on a great time. And I hit something that's the opposite where it is no longer safe yeah. to execute in this terrain or in the state that I'm in. I'll turn around and yeah. I don't like, there's no like second thoughts. There's no, oh man, maybe I should have. It's like, no, like I got cues. I got that gut instinct. Yeah. I observed things that I knew yeah. I needed to turn around for yeah. and I called it. And so it's like, it goes both ways. Yeah. So like had that, um, had that ice ledge been six inches narrower than you thought it was going to be, you look at that and you just say, nope, it's just not happening today. Like that is not a safe scenario to put myself into. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I would have, I would have searched for other uh, options. Uh, and if no other option presented itself, then yeah. it would have been a, okay, go home. Today's not the day for this. Yeah, but it sounds um, like you but, put yourself through a bunch of those visualizations before you even start the effort. Like, okay, I'm going to be hungry. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be cold. Let's prepare for all of those things so that we're not dealing with them in the middle of the, not that you won't deal with them, but you've already dealt with them sort of mentally. You've already made that bargain with yourself that said, yep, you know, it's kind of like your kids, like before you go to the mall, like you sit them down, like, okay, you're not getting anything or you have $20 to spend, right? Don't ask me for the $400 toy because we've already established the parameters. Yeah. Um, it's, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. There's, would you rephrase that? Would you would you say that end part again? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like when you take your kids to the mall. Like you you've set this bargain with yourself before you even start the route. So it's like sitting your kids down before you go to the mall to say, "Look, you got you have twenty dollars to spend. Don't come asking me later for the four hundred dollar toy." Right? We've already said we're going to be cold. We're going to be hungry. We're going to be tired. We know that, right? Don't come telling me you're cold in the middle of this race. We know that. And then so that we can just move past that. Like, yeah, oh man, I'm cold. Yeah, we already knew that. Uh, I caught my thought again. Got it. Um, so I think when we go out, you know, you go out and have your first experience mountaineering and you get really cold and you get uncomfortable in that way. One of the reasons I, I tell people like sort of stay present in that experience, you know, when say you're, especially when it's a, as blank as I've ever been, mm-hmm. like whatever that blank is, as cold as I've ever been, as sleep deprived as I've ever been, as fatigued as I've ever been, like that's a really important moment because those are the moments you're deepening the well. Okay. And each time you press out into that, like, oh, this is the furthest I've ever run or this is the tiredest my, ever, my legs have ever been that I kept yeah. going or whatever it is, um, you're basically redefining your own perceived limits for yourself. So there's a practice, like a practical aspect to this. And then based on those experiences that you've had in individual places, you can do visualizations of what it would be like to have those things layer on top of each other. So now I'm experiencing the fear of climbing on a rock route or over a crevasse and I'm sleep deprived and uh, my muscles are crampy and fatigued uh, because you know, maybe I haven't been able to consume enough calories or drink enough water because my stomach's queasy. So it's like you're layering these things on top and go, okay, 
what would it be like to be in that moment when I'm making the most crucial moves of this route? You know, I've so never, like worst case scenario. I've never thought about it. Like a, it's like a, it's like a bench press max, right? It's like, okay, I, I, I'm increasing my max each time. This is the most my feet have ever hurt. This is the tiredest I've ever been, whatever it is. And I've never really thought about it in those terms of, as a mental tool to go, yep, okay, boom. You know, you just, yeah, you got, you, you hit a new max. Great, good job, keep going, <laughs> you know? So, so and, and here's, here's an application of this tool. If you think of it like a tool, a toolkit or a switchboard maybe, yeah, um, where you can understand which sliders are sliding and identify them, just like you said, to suppress something and to try to just like pretend it's not there actually amplifies it. But also the opposite is true, where if you can name something with greater distinction and accuracy, it lessens its power. Mm. So the application is, I was climbing Chimborazo, which is a 20,000 foot volcano down in Ecuador. And, you know, I went up into, it's the, it was the highest elevation I'd climbed to at that point, um, above like 17,500 feet, 18,000 18, uh, feet, like stuff got super real for me, where it was like, take a few steps, heart pounding through your ears, breathing like crazy. Um, like I, I didn't take a long enough, this was pretty early in my yeah. mountaineering career. So it didn't take a long enough acclimatization window. Um, so it was way under acclimated for, for this mountain. Um, so just like suffering up high. So that came on. It's like, I'd experienced that before I'd pushed into mountains and been like, okay, this is what it feels like. It's worse than I've ever felt it, but this is what it feels like. Then also my water bottles froze. So I wasn't able to consume fluid. So it's wow. like, okay, I started to go into states of dehydration. And also because I wasn't drinking, I couldn't eat very many calories. So states of calorie deprivation, it's like, okay, I've been here before. I've gone out on long runs, not brought adequate nutrition. We've all done it or gotten lost, taken a wrong turn, ended up out there way longer than anticipated and just kind of pushed through. And, the and I knew that my body could go a long, long ways. Um, and it would just kind of continue hurting worse and worse in that regard. Um, I was already pretty sleep deprived from not being able to sleep well, uh, up at elevation at the base camp. And so I was in this, uh, it's, you know, sleep deprivation was a part of it. And I'm trying to remember if there's another factor that's layered on top. Oh, then obviously like feeling really cold cause yeah. it's super cold up that high. So like these things are layered up on top of each other and you're like, you're climbing in the middle of the night through to make the summit by morning. Cause that's what's safe for that mountain. And I remember just feeling like worse and worse and worse and worse and just like all these things. And I remember just like, as we're getting toward the top end of the mountain, like there was something I couldn't identify. There was this suffering that I could not identify at the moment. And like, I knew, I knew what the, like, okay, my muscles are crampy. Like every other step I'm feeling a bit crampy and, um, okay. Like, the air is really thin. I'm sucking wind. My heart is pounding through my head. I have a headache from the elevation as well. Um, you know, splitting headache. Okay, I've been here before. Not to this degree, but I've been here before. Um, and then it finally dawned on me. And it dawned on me that what, I, what was happening is every time I would complete my French step, so a crossover step and then uh, getting back to a rest stance, and I would move my ice axe, and wait for my my two partners, the guide and my my climbing partner, to move their feet. I was actually nodding off, like I was sleepy to the degree that I was wow. like, 
kind of nodding off, not fully like falling asleep, but like that's how tired I was. And that instantly, as soon as I identified what it was that, because I'd never gotten to that point while moving at that point in my, I've done it many times since, but while moving, I'd never gotten to the point of sleepiness that I would fall asleep on my own feet. And as soon as I identified it, my brain instantly went, that is the one thing that will get better in the near future because the sun is going to come up within the next two hours. And so that gave me sort of this hope, right? I went from this like, everything's just going to get worse and worse. I don't know if this is possible or safe anymore to wait, this, this one thing will get better as soon as my circadian rhythm, like as soon as that light hits my eyes from the sunrise, I'm going to feel awake again. Yeah. And sure enough, sunrise comes up, get that blast of energy from, Mm -hmm. from waking up and make the summit, make it back down. You know, sure. It was like a painful experience, you know, both the rest of the way to the summit and all the way back down. Yeah. Um, but got through, got through the experience. And I think there's a power to having those distinctions in identifying the experiences you're having inside. Are you finding that you're getting better at better and better at identifying those and keeping the mental acuity on these longer efforts? Like, is that, is that a muscle you're building? I'm, I'm not only better at identifying, um, I'm better at like preventing them from ever like sliding to, yeah. to that degree of suffering again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I see it coming. I go, Oh yeah. Okay. I Here should do, I should take a, I should take a 20 minute power nap because that's going to give me three more hours, uh, into the night before I feel sleepy or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, little things like that where you start to mess around. Cause that's the other thing is when you have a distinction, you can now identify and you've experienced sort of its intensity and how bad it can get. Then you can try different things and go, okay, yeah. with the sleepiness, if I take a short nap, what does that do for the muscle fatigue? And also, what does it do for the sleepiness? Yeah. And then you sort of tailor your own experience for these long pushes to be like to, to get the maximum amount of moving time and progress yeah. with the minimum amount of perceived effort. <laughs> what is your, um, what's like the minimum, uh, kind of average minimum? Because it sounds like you've had a couple of pretty short efforts, but like what is like a, a typical normal minimum to a maximum in, in the FKTs in the 100 that you've done? And then also what percentage of these FKTs that you've done have you mapped versus doing somebody else's route? Uh, okay. Um, I think that the shortest FKT I've done is that 2.6 mile Canyon yeah. loop, um, technical Canyon loop. Um, and the longest one I believe is still the 146 miles okay. of the Oregon's five highest peaks connected on foot. Um, so you sum it the Oregon's five highest mountains and use the Pacific crest trail to connect to them. Um, so I think that's the longest I've done. How long did that one take you? Uh, I think that one was in the ballpark of three days. I forget the exact time at this point. Um, it's one, it's one that can go significantly faster because I actually had to leave and teach a day of school. Um, cause I tried to pack it into a, a weekend window before the first day of school. And I'm like, I can't, as a professional, I cannot miss the first day of school. So like, got off my timeline and like was shoot, I'm going to have to call it even though like I'm feeling good and and I've run all the way from the three sisters to, to Mount hood. And here I am at the end. It's like, no, I got to get back. I have to go back for my first day. So drove back, taught the day of school, realized I couldn't live with myself if I didn't go finish, got uh, booked a sub for the second day of school and went all the way back and 
picked up right where I left off and finished up Mount Hood. So it's actually a really soft time if anybody, you know, wants to go do five mountains, 145 miles that involves some, you know, five, five route climbing. When did you head um, back? Was it right travel. after the school day ended or did the next morning? Uh, right after the school day ended. So you, okay. So that's um, like legit. Like you didn't go home and sleep or go out, go out to dinner and all that. Like you kind of pushed yourself right back out there and did it. I mean, I did get sleep on the night before yeah. school because um, I had a, an, another fellow teacher who was out there supporting me and I couldn't make the call to make him <laughs> you know, go to school sleep deprived. Um, that wouldn't have been fair. Half faculties um, out and there's like, God dang it, Jason. Jason keeps pulling <laughs> our faculty away. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that one's my longest one. And okay. then... Um, your other question is how many did I create myself versus doing someone else's route or beating a, or I guess another way of saying it, beating yep. an established record. I think my split is about, um, 60, 40, like percentage wise, oh. um, soon to be numbers wise too. Yeah. Um, it's right in that ballpark where I've <clears throat> created about 40 of my own routes, I okay. think. And then I've beaten other people's routes uh around 60 times if i'm right if i'm if i'm not mistaken that's cool. roughly the the split what do you prefer do you prefer to do the 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 virgin route so to speak or do you like think, having uh, something to chase i think i like creating more than yeah. i like beating i mean both have their motivations right sure. there's it's a lot of fun to go out and try to try to just crush something faster than anyone else has done it when a, a bunch of other people have tried but I think the process of creation is more meaningful to me because yeah. it leaves something new behind for others. Yeah. Do you, what's the emotion when you see someone, I know you've explained what the emotion is when somebody else does one of your routes. What is the emotion when you, when someone beats you on one of your routes? Is it, or, or do you like it? Do you hate it? Do you, does it motivate you to want to go back and do it again? Um, I was, well, it, it depends on the route. Okay. You know, sometimes, sometimes a route has a certain draw to it, or maybe I had an experience on it where I know I could have done a few things better. Mm. And so if somebody comes and beats me in that type of situation, oftentimes it's like, all right, cool, I'm going back. And yeah. I have taken back a few of mine from people who have who have beaten me. Um, is that part of the 100? Are there, are there doubles up in your 100, or is this outside of the 100? Those are, those are counted in my current count to okay. 100 when I've gone back and reclaimed the same route. Got it. Um, but then there's other situations where like I know I, I laid out a really good ex like effort on a route or it's a route where something about the draw was like, I just want to do it once and then I'm like done with it. Yeah. Like, um, and those ones where it's, if somebody beats me, I don't really get that drive to go back. Got it. Um, and as far as the emotion I experience, usually I'm stoked. Um, okay. a, a person actually noticed and I, I, I appreciated being called out. Oftentimes I actually leave on my write-ups on the FKT website and in my Instagram posts, I often finish with two simple words, who's next? And I think that embodies the spirit, that understanding I have that I'm not some end-all be-all, I'm not some God. It's like I'm some guy, some ADHD kid <laughs> who can't sit still from some small town yeah. who just loves moving. And my genuine hope is that someone else finds the same amount of meaning and happiness for their life in doing it, whether they do it slower than me or 10 yeah. seconds faster than me or blow me up by an hour or three hours or whatever, um, as long as they have an awesome experience while doing it. I mean, it's got to, like, the other analogy that comes to my mind is, like, as a songwriter, you know, like, 
hearing somebody sing the song you wrote, whether it's another artist, you know, covering it or, you know, a stadium full of people singing it back to you or some somebody in a, at a stoplight next to you singing a song you wrote. Like, that's just got to be the most magical feeling ever, just going, wow. I, like, the joy you impart to somebody, it's just got to be amazing, like, knowing that somebody else got joy out of this creation that you made. I I definitely experienced that. I, I experienced yeah. a lot of the joy, a lot of uh, a sense of pride, um, honor, if you will, feel honored by yeah. it. Um, I don't, I don't, experience very many negative emotions when, when those things happen. Yeah. I mean, maybe if, if the person like was a jerk to me about it, that might trigger <laughs> the like, well, I guess I'm going to go out there yeah. and find a way to shave however much time <laughs> off I need to. Uh, has anyone ever smashed one of your times to the point where you're like, that is ungodly. Like, has anybody just absolutely destroyed it? Cause you're a fast guy. Uh, it's not like you're just, you know, well, I mean, at my best, I was a 250 marathoner, and we know people go way faster sure. than that. So it's like I'm kind of fast, but in, on the big scale of things, not that yeah. fast. I try to keep myself in check because okay. it's true. Fair enough. Um, so if someone who's a 215 marathoner comes along, they're going to like – if they have the skill set as well, yeah, the fitness for that kind of movement speed, they're going to crush what I do. And I think – I'm trying to remember. I think I've had one or two of mine like blown out of the water by some some pretty fast – Local athletes. Oh yeah, no, a couple of them in Vegas. There was uh, in Red Rocks outside of Vegas. Uh -huh. um, I did, I did a bunch of Run Plus solo um, records there. That one of them I think has been beaten. But then I did a couple of routes that were just like light scrambling, easy scrambling, and then mostly running. And a local kid there, just who has wheels, just came out <laughs> and like I think shaved an hour off of like a twelve mile route. I'm just oh, like, wow. what? Wow. <laughs> But then I looked at all his other stuff and I'm like, whoa, dude, like you're, you're out there running, you know, five minute miles for, yeah. for training. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't run five minute miles for training. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at least not strung together multiple miles in a row. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you said strung together. That, that reminded me of another question I had earlier. Were you, so you were skateboarding, but were you a skateboarder as a kid? Yeah, I was a, I was a skater as a kid. It was my first form of building physical fitness, I think okay. really in like a dedicated sense. And also I think it's where I learned sort of a projecting mindset. Yeah. Um, cause with skating, you like try the trick and you fail and you fail and you fail and you mm -hmm. fail and you fail. And then finally after like weeks and weeks and yeah. thousands of failures, you land it for the <clears> first time Yeah. and you forget, you instantly forget all yeah. of the failures and all of the bloody shins and knees. And you're like, yeah, it was worth it. Yeah. Well, on the other side of skating is, is again, is that stringing together trick after trick after trick, right? Which is kind of that, again, you're, the way that you're doing these course creations is kind of like a musician or skating also comes to mind to me is that kind of, you know, looking at a curb and a rail and a three-step drop and different things like that and going, okay, I'm going to map this thing out and and I'm going to go like compose this route kind of thing. And I wonder if those were early experiences that kind of, um, you know, in some way shapes how you're approaching this whole FKT thing or something. I think so. Actually, you're, you're the first person that's like posed that. Mm. And I'll bet you that's where there, there is some carryover, right? Cause anytime you acquire like a skill set such as seeing a line, yeah, it's going to cross over. There's transferability. So if you can see a line on a skateboard, you're going to be more likely after some practice to see a line while skiing or snowboarding down a mountain. Yeah. And then that could carry over to 
rock climbing that could carry over to mountaineering and FKTs. Yeah. Uh, on top of it, actually, another one that stands out, I think my skater days was where I learned a sense of self-sufficiency and resiliency in the sense that I would like sneak out of my house and know that if I went home, my parents were going to be like, you can't leave again, do your chores, <laughs> which is kind of a negative thing. But it, it forced me to be like, all right, how am I going to get some food today so yeah. that I don't have to go home? And how am I going <clears> to, <throat> or if I fall and bloody my knee, how am I going to like rip off part of my shirt and tie it around this so that I can keep skating yep. instead of going home to get doctored up? <laughs> it's a whole side of life that unfortunately I just don't think kids are seeing these days and you're much closer to it being a PE teacher you see these kids so maybe there's some hope you can give me but the, I grew up I mean you're quite a bit younger than me you're like early 30s right 32 I think yep yeah so um you know I, I grew up you know that kind of generation x latchkey kid leave when the sun comes up come home when the street lights or after the streetlights go on. And we just, you know, there were no smartphones or anything like that. Cable TV sucked. You know, there was like three cable channels and they were all terrible. And so we would, you know, we had each other. We had dumb things, jumping off of roofs into pools, jumping off roofs into yards, whatever, right? I mean, we just did a bunch of dumb stuff, but we learned how to live and, and just do fun, crazy, dumb stuff. And uh, I fear that our kids are just absolutely losing that. I've seen in my neighborhood... Some during the whole COVID thing, I've seen kids playing now for the first time, like with sticks and balls and rocks and just doing, again, dumb stuff in the middle of a creek, which is just swells my heart. I mean, it's just awesome seeing that. What are you seeing on the ground there? I mean, I'm out in a rural area, so it is a little bit different yeah. out here. A lot of the kids don't have great access to internet. Um, Good or no internet at all is, you know, sadly it's a high poverty area. So there's even kids that mm. sometimes don't have electricity at home and stuff like that um, for portions of the year. It's, it's, wow. it, it's tough. Um, so it's a different, it's a very different demographic that I serve out here. It's one of the things that's kept me here is that yeah. I feel like my voice of, Hey, you can go do amazing things. You can go, you know, live this, you know, this life where you chase after big goals. Yeah. It's a pretty unique, um, it's a more powerful voice in the setting. If I went to some like highly affluent school where the parents are like traveling, you know, diplomats, the kids yeah. would be like, yeah, of course I can go wherever I want, whenever I want. Sure. Uh, but to these kids, that message is like, uh, nobody I know has ever left here. Yeah. So I don't know if you're right. Well, it's funny um, because like you think about the alternative there and, you know, these kids that get to go and fly to Paris and then go sit in some really nice hotel and sit by the pool and they don't really ever see, frankly, much of it, right? Versus you who is seeing a volcanic mountain from every angle possible, running over it, running around it, going to the next one, doing the same thing. You've seen, you've seen mountains from angles most people will never even dream of unless they're watching drone footage on the, you know, Nat Geo channel. And, and, and the value of that is just insane. I'd, I'd rather have that than any amount of money in the world. Well, ab absolutely. And I think this kind of gets into the discussion between sort of traditional like mountaineers who are like, you should go slow because you should appreciate what's around you. And, and what I do where it's like, well, in one day, yeah. I just saw, you know, climbed the mountain, descended a different side of the mountain and, and did that twice and also circumnavigated the entire mountain. Um, it's like, I, in my opinion, I saw more and experienced yeah. more than someone who just took like three days to climb one route yeah. and then has to come back a whole different year to go backpack around the mountain. Yeah. Um, 
And part of the reason I say that is not only do I see more in a given 24 hour period and then go out the next weekend and, and do the same again. And as you were describing, seeing the mountain from every side, there's a world of difference between you could, you could literally fly a drone in my exact footsteps as I did an infinity loop on a mountain. And the person watching it is not having the same experience because I get to feel yeah. what it's like for me to do that on that mountain. For sure. I know what it feels like to climb. And to me, there's like, that's maybe it's that I'm somewhat a kinesthetic learner, but that is so, like such a big part of how I experience the world yeah. to understand <clears throat> what it feels like to make it to the top, to go, to climb down, to run around, to yeah. do all these things. Um, so you're seeing, but you're also feeling. Yeah. Um, in a variety of ways. And I think that there's a huge value. And one of the things I actually say to my students and to other people is like, yeah, you can either be, because some people refer to this generation as the screeners because they have more screens than any right. generation in history. And so I, I say, you can either be the person watching the person on a mountaintop in a video, or you can be the person on the mountaintop in the video. Yeah. And... You know, the kids kind of like are like, oh, what, what these kids yeah. must think of you, like, you know, holy smokes, like what a great PE teacher to have an, an example um, that you're able to set for these kids has just got to be so amazing. And again, what you're doing, you know, gas money, obviously gear can get a little pricey, but it's not like, you know, I mean, it's at the end of the day, what you're doing doesn't doesn't cost a fortune. And there's certainly a way to do it, I'm sure, on the absolute dead cheap you know, um, so it's just gotta be amazing for these kids to see this, this effort that their freaking PE teacher is putting in. It's awesome. There's no excuses, right? They're not, they can't just sit there and go like, I'm not running a lap. You run a lap. It's like, oh no, he'll really run a lap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have. And I mean, I've had a few of those when I used to teach, I'm at a rural school. So it's a K through 12 on one campus in okay. two separate buildings. Yeah. And now I just work with elementary, but I used to work with high school as well. And so at that time, they would test me every oh, once yeah. in a while, and I'd oh, be yeah. like, oh, okay, let's throw down. <clears throat> and they're like, what? It's like, no, we're going to do, like, you want me to join you? You asked for it. Now yeah. we're going to go twice the distance, right? and I'm going to run with you. We're going to do two miles instead of one, Yeah. and we're going to run the whole time. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. um, and oh, by the way, I already ran 10 miles this morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're yeah. just like, oh, it uh, doesn't, doesn't take too many times for them to be like, huh, I guess I'm not going to not going to mouth back on that, but that was very rare. Yeah. And I usually did it in more of a fun spirit than sure. a malicious spirit yeah. because I find the true way to connect with people, right. Is I want to get on their channel. Like, yeah. uh, for example, a student that comes to mind is a guy that was kind of a punk and he would always purposely try to mess up whatever a teacher was doing in the classroom. He shows up in, in, in my gym for the first day. Like I'd seen him carry an skateboard around. So I instantly sit down. It's like, Oh yeah, what, what are you working on on the skateboard? Like you got any, any tricks you're working on? And he's like, Oh, da, 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 this. I'm like, Oh, I remember I like worked on that trick. I never could land the other one you're working on. So that you have to show me if you're able to land that. Cause I never could get it. So like I get on his channel yeah. for a while, literally by the end of that day, he's like running through walls for me. Yeah. Right. Cause I got on his channel, connected with him and then talked to him about how, what I had could help him. Yeah. You built like showed him. I could understand showed him like that to me that's where the power is, right? The relationship, the connection, the understanding, and like seeing the pathway that is valuable to them, not the, not some pathway I'm making up to try to force them to do, but like, how do I channel the urges this young person already has yeah. 
into something that is actually going to be productive for something they care about. And if they pursue something they care about and learn that process, well, all they have to do later in life is then change what they're interested in. And they already have the process to be successful. Yeah. You see the FKT parallel, right? Like you're, (laughs) you're building the route from you to him, right? I'm going to go over this gorge. I'm going to go through this valley. I'm going to get, and we're going to meet over there and, you know, and and I'm going to do it in a way that inspires him to want to do it too. And, Got a lot of parallels. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Now, for me, for me, I started off, my first love, I like to say, was running. That's what that's what started. I mean, the skating kind of really was the first thing because it built the framework. But the thing that like became a pervasive part of my life through middle school and high school when I was forming my identity was running. And I think one of the things that happened is running became very personal for me because my first experience with it in a real personal way was I wanted to break a six minute mile as a middle schooler because no one else in the middle school was doing it that year. Mm. And it also meant I would be the fastest one at the school that year. Um, again, you know, small town school, so not crazy talent. There are no, you know, Olympians yeah. in my midst. Um, so like that was kind of a big deal to a young person, right? Like to, to be the best in your little understood pond at something. And I remember just working and working and working from the start of this year, this school year to to the end of that year. And in the very last PE mile of the year, um, you know, some of my other classmates rallied around me who like were like into it and into PE and like helped pace me out the start of it and slowly dropped off one after the other. And I remember as the last one dropped off, he's like, go! <laughs> and just like laying down everything I have for the last 300 meters, just laying it down, like, ah, oh, just the worst pain I'd felt in my yeah. entire life up until that point. Um, just my body felt like it was on fire. And I remember the, the PE coach reading off 557 Oof. as I crossed the line nice. and just flopping into the grass, you know, like a fish, just blah, 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 like my yeah. hands as I'm laying there just up. And that solidified sort of this like, okay, if I set a goal, this is what it feels like. This is the problem, right? Yeah. Um, and so it became very personal. So sure, I was on <clears> teams <throat> as a way to set more of those goals and accomplish those goals, but it was always a personal thing. I was never just like, oh, I run because I want to be friends with these people or I want to be on this team or I want to go to this championship or whatever. Like those things all became important goals that were a part of the personal goal. But I was like the person who would train in the off season, um, which was rare in in my hometown. I remember running all around and people thinking I was crazy because they're like, this kid's running all over town. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so so that was definitely a very important part. And so when I teach... I remember how important it was that it was personal, that I was the one who owned that. And it's difficult. And I think something our culture particularly struggles with is teaching in a way that they own it, right? Not Mm -hmm. they need me to tell them what to do next. And I also have to provide the impetus and the motivation, whether I'm punishing them or rewarding them. It's like, no, you're going to own this. You're going to want it you're going to take your own direction. And sure, I can't connect with every student on that level, right? Sure. But for the ones I do connect with, it is amazing to see the difference it makes when someone gets on this channel and connects with them and they start truly taking ownership of something they care about and following a process that leads to a goal that they want. Yeah, Um, you know, it's as we talk about all this stuff, the word suffer is, I've, I've, 
in a way I have a problem with it because there's like, there's such a massive reward involved in the suffering that we do as endurance athletes, you know, whereas like true suffering, you know, where they're, it's, you know, it's like dying of cancer and there's no, there's no coming. That's true suffering. You know, there's the reward We've all been there. Probably everybody listening to this podcast right now has been there, whether it's running a sub six mile or a sub six marathon, right? I mean, it's like, it doesn't matter what that end time is. We've all suffered to a point. I just used the word. Um, but there's always like, a, you know, steel against steel kind of sharpening or hardening of the tool, the instrument that is so freaking rewarding that you know, it's, it's such an intrinsic, um, reward that nothing else, no amount of money, no amount of anything else can ever touch. You know what I mean? It's like the, um, I don't know, just calling it suffering is such a, like there's, there's no positive connotations. And the reality is, is there's very few negative connotations really when you think about, as you said, like you think about each of these big efforts, even when you're hurting, you know what you're doing to your body and you know the way that you're, what you're doing to your soul and your spirit and all of those things and improving yourself. So um, I don't know how you impart that on those kids, but I, it, I, I, I bet you're doing a good job of it. I, I mean, again, you know, working with K through six, it's tough to get into like, as we're like dissecting it and breaking it apart. Right. But one and of the powerful things is, I think kids learn more from who we are than from what we say. Right. And so I, along with that, I also believe you can only truly teach what you become. Yeah. And that ties right back into that, that quote I mentioned from my mentor, human beings are like a tube of toothpaste. You find out what's truly inside when they're squeezed. And yeah. it, that ties into what you said, we're going out and we're not just suffering. You're right. Like that is, and I like that you brought that up and I, I, I've tossed that word around and always felt like that's ah, not really suffering. You're choosing it. Um, for example, like a personal example is when I had my car accident in 2015, that kind of yeah. shifted the gears from uh, Ironman triathlon to getting in the mountains. Um, and anybody that's listening, that's heard me before they've heard me talk about that. But one of the things that happened, a very visceral experience, this gets really real guys. So if you're squeamish, you might want to <laughs> power down. Um, as I had one of my lungs collapsed and the sh initial shock was wearing off and I was starting to struggle to breathe through immense pain. Cause I also had nine broken ribs. Mm. Um, I had this, this, cl the, this clarity in that time where it's like, this is how de deep I have to dig when you've already, I, the thought that came to mind is like running a 5k or closing out the final miles of a marathon, you know, kicking the final 300 meters of a one mile race after you've already put in a PR effort yeah. and you're just closing it out to try to like, you know, win or whatever. And you're just absolutely wrapping your body to the max. You're feeling pain everywhere and, and you're struggling for every breath. It was like that. And I had this, this moment where I'm like, yeah, but this time I don't get to choose to stop. Yeah. If I, if I choose to stop, that's death Yeah. right now. Like the only option is to choose to struggle on. Yeah. And like, that's the difference between like true suffering and the suffering we like to toss the word around yeah. suffering. Um, like at any point you can slow down a yeah. little bit and some of the pain goes away. Did that make you tougher? Um, 
that moment. I mean, there's a multitude of ways that that moment is powerful and very real and reinforced very important values like living for a good story and chasing goals and dreams 100% and not wasting days. Um, And I'm not perfect. I'm human. I mean, I have bad days. I have days I just need to like stay in bed the whole day. Um, But it definitely motivated a whole like and something I was already on a path toward. It's like, oh, yeah, in the snap of a set of fingers, like it can all be gone. Anything you think you have or own or worked for or have earned, just boom, it can be gone. Like that. Um, So you have to be, you have to be ready. You have to be in love with your process because that's all you ever have. Yeah. Um, You you think you own the fitness you're at. Like, no, in a moment that can be gone. All gone. So you better be in love with the process because, you know, it comes back to that, that childhood play, right? You hand a kindergartner a basketball, they'll miss a thousand times. Right. You hand them the ball, the, thousand and first time guess what they excitedly take the shot again yep that's the sort of mindset we have to have with like things we care about progressing toward and so i think it reinforced that but i also think because at the same time this car accident happened uh my significant other my wife of four years also left me during Mm. that time so you want to talk about like going from you know iron man qualifying for uh 70.3 world championships you know, doing massive workouts and like finishing them and feeling totally fine. Like I'd done nothing and like crushing my teaching day and da, 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 da. And like having a relationship I was in that was stable and happy. And like suddenly going from that one day to like, a, you know, a couple of weeks later, like everything radically turned upside down and yeah. being deeply lonely and being unable to do the things that were both my coping ne- mechanisms and my joy bringers. Yeah. Um, my, the things that gave me direction and meaning. Um, and also being disconnected with all my friends because all my friends were cycling buddies and running buddies and swimming buddies yeah. and they were all still doing their cool shit. Yeah. And so it's not like I'd, I'd be like, Hey guys, stop doing the cool stuff you're doing. And instead come be lame with me sitting around doing nothing. Um, like that was a rough time to go through, I bet. right? That's, that's a, on a, on a, like a human spectrum. That's a pretty tough place for any human to get through. And that I was able to, to look into it and to like see a way through it and walk through it in a positive, in a positive manner to come out the other. And there was, there were dark, it wasn't perfect. It was messy. It was, you know, but to walk through it with belief that I could hold a vision and I could move toward that vision, I absolutely think came out of the practice this not suffering we're doing, but instead this sharpening, this sharpening of our body, this sharpening of our mind, this sharpening of our belief in a process that comes from being willing to, like you said, you know, pull the iron out of the heat, pound it, put it in the cold water, pull the iron out of the heat, pound it. And each time getting a forging it a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger, the training and the mindset I put into embracing the suffering in my training and the dedication I put into that gave me the ability as life went sideways to go, okay, same process, you know, same shit, just different day. Yeah. Like, here we go. Now the focus is I'm going to restore mobility to my knee that had to be rebuilt. I'm, I'm going to restore, you know, strength and fitness to my body. I'm going to, I'm going to take up new pastimes that allow me to have meaning and goals uh, that's when I took up rock climbing and, and, and I started hiking local hills and hills led to mountains and mountains yeah. led to bigger mountains. 
And so just found new ways to get engaged and to push myself and to, and to move forward. And I think the ability to do that, you know, in the face of even like one of my first doctors said, oh yeah, you're just going to have to let that part of your life go. When I brought up, oh, I'm super passionate about running and I'm super passionate about triathlon. And he's like, yeah, you're just, you're probably just going to let that part of your life go just coldly, flatly, and then walked out of the room. Um, and just sort of having that confidence and that power of will to be like, nah, you don't know who I am. You just watch me. (laughs) There you go. Um, and, and to know that, to know that not because I'm making it up, not because of some false confidence, but because I knew I could dig in and dedicate myself regardless of how difficult it got and how painful it got that I would be willing to dedicate myself to a process. And I was willing to accept nothing less than some version of myself in the future that was doing things I cared to do at a level I cared to do them. I sure. It. I was willing to embrace, I might not ever qualify for an Ironman, you know, world championship again, like the lungs might not be there. There might be too much damage tissue, okay. you know, and especially at that time when I still couldn't even move my knee, it's like, right. I might not ever run the same again, but I'll be damned if I don't find some way to be out there doing something. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I think I think that the ability to be in a place, I always like to say, you know, success builds bridges to further success. And to be in a place where I was capable of handling that was absolutely a product. Yeah. You know, another thing I say to my students now is you're preparing for opportunities you can't see yet. And in this case, it didn't really seem like an opportunity, um, but it was an obstacle that I in no way saw coming. Yeah. But all the preparation that wasn't even related to that obstacle in life played into my ability to come through it as a person who still talks positively and can talk about, I refer to it as my former life before the car accident um, because I try not to compare across that line because I find it just demotivates and kind of you can get negative about yourself really fast in your progress. And that if you're constantly being negative with yourself, you're not going anywhere in life. Like you're going to kill kill your motivation. You're not going to follow your process. You're not going to believe in your result. So you have to flip it. And the way I did that is it was like clean break. That part of my life died in the car accident. Okay. And now I have a new life and I'm starting, you know, that childhood play. I'm starting from ground zero. I will not compare. I will not compare myself to anything from before. Are you more like- that allowed me- No, go ahead. Say that again? No, no, keep going. Keep going. Sorry. That allowed me to be excited with every little bit of progress, like, oh, that's as much as I've bent my knee. Like, yeah. how how retarded, you know, prior to the car accident, would it be for me to be excited about <laughs> bending my knee? Like right. zero, there would it'd be like, why would I care about that? I bend my knee 40,000 times in a day. Yeah. Um, but like creating that clean break so those little things could be noticed and celebrated. Yeah. Because if you're if you're noticing and celebrating your process, that's reinforcing motivation. You're rewarding yourself for doing the right things that, and that's what leads to good results in the end. Yeah. Um, but if you're only looking at like a big end result, like, oh yeah, I'm going to run a hundred miles again. And you go and you try to bend your knee and you can't bend it. Like yeah. that's a huge gap. I can't walk and run a hundred miles. There's a, a large chasm of about 100 miles between those two. Yeah. And that's not going to be very motivating. I love the um, idea that you fall in love with the process, not with who you are. That's a great way of looking at it. Cause then you're never, you're never disappointed necessarily in kind of where you are, or what you see in the mirror versus the, unless you, unless you jettison the process. Right. But if you love that process, um, that's who, who are you more like, like your mom or your dad, or where do you get that from? I think 
so my mom is a you know saved at the age of three you know 100% committed conservative christian and she only sees the world through that lens mm. to to you know not in a mean way but almost almost sometimes to a comical degree mm. where like she can't even see the world in a different way like you can sort of see the edges of her perspective sometimes yeah. um and i again she's a wonderful amazing sure. kind woman i wouldn't have made it through elementary school without <laughs> her love and support so i don't mean that in a mean way at all but like that level of commitment to like stay 100% true to a way of thought. I think a little of that comes into who I am. Like I'm able, because I saw that modeled by her yeah. at a young age, I'm able to like set myself to a course and stay the course. Yeah. Um, and then my dad kind of in a similar vein, I learned hard work. Um, he's a small business owner in a small town and it's a it's a manual labor, uh, HVAC, mm -hmm. installing heating, ventilation, air conditioning in homes. And that's hard work and a lot of labor. And he was the kind of guy that's like, you work till the job is done. And yeah. I learned that from a young age, like going out to jobs with him. And he's like, all right, you're doing the crawl work. I'm going to do this work up here. And we're, yeah. we're going to work till it's done. It doesn't matter how tired you get. doesn't matter, you know, how many bottles of water we go through. Like you just keep going and, and eventually the work is done. That's awesome. And so... Yeah, I definitely remember noticing, even as a middle schooler, yeah. uh, when I when I hit that skater punk age, they were doing some uh, retrofitting of our skate park to add some new ramps. And I remember like just getting out there and going to it because they're like, all right, you guys build, like do move the dirt for what you want and we'll build the ramps there. And so I just go to it and these other kids are like, oh man, they should get so the prisoners to come out and do this for us. I'm like, you're the one who wants to skate it. Do the work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, like just had that mentality from a young age where it's like, you just do the work, whatever's necessary, you do the work. Yeah. Um, so I do think they influenced me. They both yeah. influenced me in a positive way, even though it's like completely separate yeah, no, no, no. categories. But it's um, kind of it like absolutely crossed over. It's kind of like going back to your kids that you're teaching now, like you're not influencing them today, right? They're not, this kindergartner's not going, okay, cool. I'm going to go do 150 mile, you know, effort on the, you know, these peaks and stuff, but You'll be shocked. You know, you will. Some of these kids are going to come back 15 years from now and go, hey, you know, Mr. Hardrath, like, look what I did, you know. You're, they're probably going to show up and break couple, a couple of your FKTs one day, you know. That you know is it's actually, happen. I th I've, I've, I've written that in a couple of the more local FKTs where it's like, sure would love it if a student, a former student or student comes and yeah. beats me on this one day. Yeah. It's amazing those little seeds that get planted early and then you don't understand them at the time and then, they come back 20 years later and they start making sense to, you know, your future self there all of a sudden where you're like, oh, now I get what this guy was saying. My mom used, to, uh, there's a book, <laughs> Jonathan Livingston Siegel, which was really big in the 70s and this like kind of guru-y type of thing. And she would always say perfect speed is being there. And I never understood what the hell she meant. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then when I was about like 25, I was, I read the book and then I understood, it wasn't reading the book. I think it was just putting myself in that mindset to want to understand what perfect speed is being there. Meaning it doesn't matter how fast you're going, be in the moment, right? Wherever you are, however fast you're going, that is the perfect speed. And it was this thing that was always in the back of my mind, kind of just not, I think there was a part of me that understood what it meant before I understood it consciously. And it drove me for some reason. And then I finally understood what the hell it meant in a very specific period of my life where I really needed to. So yeah, I'm sure you're laying some good foundations for these kids. 
I, I certainly hope so. It's, it's what I value. I mean, yeah. I, I even with older <laughs> class groups, I'll even go as far as saying like, how much do you think I, I care about your grade in here? And they'll be like, Oh yeah, this much. Cause I'll yeah. like use hands. Right? right. And it's like, Nope, like this much. Yeah. What I care is I bump into you 20 years from now. I'm an old man with gray hair. You're in your prime and that you're a healthy, happy, successful individual doing things you care about, having accomplished things you've cared to accomplish and that you can talk with me about those things. That's what I care about. Cool. And they're kind of like, oh, <laughs> it's like, that's, that's, that's why I'm here. <laughs> Again, you're better than any PE teacher I ever had. So that's awesome. Well, listen, we see the uh, finish line across the horizon here. We do a little thing, 10 question dash. I want to have you on in six more FKTs because I definitely want to talk to you after you've completed them and uh, and dig a little bit more into the car accident years ago and, and how that shaped you. And then also what's next? What's your next hundred challenges? And uh, I'd love to know if you're going to be in Colorado area. I'd love to, to share a run with you someday. So um, you want to answer some questions here in the 10 question dash? Absolutely. Right, Fire cool. away. All right. Let's get the theme music uh, pumped up here. Let's go. All righty. Number one, what's your gear like? Who, who are you repping? What do you, what do you got on the feet to head? All to right. It's probably so, a long list. <laughs> it is actually a pretty long list at this point. Um, I, I'll start local. Um, okay. Super cool little company, tiny company. Actually, the sewing factory is in Salem, Oregon. Mm. They sew locally. Um, Northwest Alpine gear. Um, if you like to support us manufactured stuff and you want some, some gear to go climb rock or go out in the mountains with kind of a cool, small upstart, uh, company. Um, so definitely love to support them since cool. they're providing jobs here in Oregon. Um, athletic brewing has been a super, I mean, I could just gush about this company <laughs> and, and what they support with the money they make. Okay. And they make a product that the health teacher in me loves because non-alcoholic craft beer gives a person who struggles with oh, nice. making decisions around alcohol, like clean options mm. to like change their life. And for like the teacher in me is just like, yes. Cool. Um, so that's huge. And then they donate money to trails and actually get their, their crew out on trails, like people who are in the ambassador crew and people who work for the company, like you can see photos. So the heart's in the right place too. Cool. Um, so that's another one I really love. And then uh, Lakey USA, they do uh, running poles. Okay. And one of the unique things is they have a locking system where your hand locks into the top of the pole and absolutely game changer mm. for how much effort you're putting out when you're on steep, loose terrain. Cool. Because I would say, I would say I've reduced the amount I grip the pole by about 30%. Wow. Um, just because of that locking mechanism that's in your hand. And the moment you want it off, you just touch with your thumbs and they come right loose. Huh. Is um, Lakey, you said? Super great. Yeah, Lakey. L-E-K-I. Okay, okay good. Um, we'll put all this stuff in the show notes as well. Awesome. And then I guess the last one, um, that I've been using that's made a big difference in my FKTs that go through the night is Kogala uh, lamps. They do a sort it almost looks like an LED bar that you'd see oh. on the top of a car, except it's for the size of your waist. Okay. And the thing with that is it's a floodlight, so you get a, a really clear lighting and like you're not stumbling as much on off-trail terrain or on technical trails. And the thing I think I've started to notice is I'm fairly certain when I'm pushing into the night using this uh, second light system, it's bright enough 
that I don't get drowsy as early. It's like bright enough. It's sort of like watching TV too late. Yeah, it's like you like just don't light. get tired. Yeah. Um, so that's a super cool product. Uh, Kogala lamps. They're cool. they're pretty great. Nice. Cool. Okay. Uh, what's your next race? I guess what's your next FKT? You have your next six mapped out. Uh, I have a about 160 options in a notebook that I can okay. choose from. And depending on how the weather pans out, it could go any which way. Okay. So we'll I'm going to say that's my answer. We'll leave it at that one. Do you have a favorite sports book or movie or anything? You're in the land of pre, so. Uh... Yeah, I have to say I, I was a kid who grew, grew up. I discovered pre, the without Bam. limits. Love it. Um, and that was a huge motivation as a kid. Huge. Mo- I watched that so many times. Is that, Probably was like that the, every week. Was that the Jared Leto one or the other one? The, uh, who's the uh, other? Was it Tom Cruise was the other one or who was the other guy that played? I don't remember. I, I, it must have been the Jared Leto. Yeah. I, I'm bad with names. Um, I think it yeah, was Jared but I know Leto. It's, I know it's Without Limits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great movie. Love it. Uh, what's your favorite race or I guess FKT? Favorite I'll go ahead and go FKT that. just because it's it's my own flavor. Um, I'm gonna pick three. There's I'm gonna pick three. Okay. Uh, Rainier Infinity Loop because it's just so heinous and so huge, and it was a transformative experience for me to go out and sleep deprive myself climbing over that mountain twice, and you know besting that record. That was huge. Uh, plus, it's a beautiful mountain, amazing. Like the Wonderland Trail by itself is an amazing, memorable experience. Climbing that mountain by itself, amazing, memorable. Like yeah, surreal. Cool. Um, number two, I'm going to choose the Yosemite Picnic Triathlon that myself and a buddy created in Yosemite, where you bike from the foot of El Cap up into the Tuolumne Meadow to Tenaya wow. Lake. You charge, you swim right across the middle of Tenaya Lake, open water swimming. Damn. You then do what's called the Tuolumne Triple Crown, where you uh, it's running plus free soloing up Tenaya Peak. And then the Mathis Crest, which is a one mile long razor ridge line uh, with about five, seven uh, difficulty climbing. And then from there, you run across to Cathedral Peak, which is about five, six um, rock climbing uh, for 800 feet up to the summit. And the summit's probably no bigger than your kitchen table. So it's like this super pointy spire. And then you run back down to the lake. You swim back across the lake to your bike and bike back down to the foot of El Cap, and that's when the timer stops. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's an effort. That's awesome. Uh, So yeah, I'll I'll go with those two. I'll go with those two. Cool. Yeah, because that that made me happy to talk about. Oh, that's good, man. That's And I I assume we can, um, is it fastestknowntimes.com or or your Strava and see some of these? Okay, cool. Um, Fastestknowntime, or or my Strava, yeah. yeah. And your your website, uh, uh, jasonhardrath.com, right? Yep. And that one's still getting updated because okay. it's kind of newer, um, okay. but stuff will be trickling in there as I okay. get it converted yeah, we'll, to that kind of content. We'll put all the notes in the show notes here. Um, okay, where am I at here? Bucket list race. What's on your uh, outside the FKT side of things or within an FKT? Like, what do you got out there that it would just be like, that's the one? Uh, let's go both directions with that. Um, bucket list race. I. I mean, part of me still dreams of going to Ironman Kona. Okay. That'd be cool. I think I'm going to, I think I'm moving that one back toward the end of life. Like old Jason will take that one on. Um, Own your age group at like 70. Yeah. Something like that. You know, something to keep me motivated when I'm retired, right? Retirement gift to myself. Um, And then a bucket list FKT would actually be a route I want to create. 
and I want to do the first ever infinity loop on a volcano over 20,000 feet tall. Oof. Okay, I thought you were going to say the moon or something. All right, <laughs> might as well be. <laughs> hey, Elon, want to want to organize a climbing project to uh, to Mars? That'd be perfect. Oh, <laughs> that that'd actually be good good air for you to occupy there with with Elon. You could be uh, you could be part of his PR team. Uh, okay, home stretch song or band on your playlist. Do you listen to music when you do these things? I tend to actually not listen yeah. to any music. I just like to be that. out there with myself. Um, but if I'm working out, I listen to a lot of rap, a lot of you know angry, angsty teen rap, cool. Eminem, uh, Nefix. Those are go-to's <clears throat> okay. for staying pumped up. Got it. Okay, <laughs> what's your most embarrassing song on that play playlist? Most embarrassing song on the playlist. Or artist, um, song or artist? I don't know, maybe Jason Derulio. Okay, that qualifies. <laughs> we'll give you one, we'll give you a ding and a, and a kettlebell there for you. What's a, do you have any pre-race rituals or superstitions? No, I can't say I do anymore. I, I used to as a kid when I was like first learning the sport and then I've just, managed to beat those out of myself at yeah. this point. <laughs> All right, two more. Uh, living or dead, who would you most like to share a long run, hike, ride, whatever it would be with? Mm. Uh, well, of course, because of the earlier conversation, like Prefontaine, if I was to say of course. dead. Um, yeah, let's just go with that. Cool, love it. All right, Jason, last question. What is the secret? What is the secret? I think kindergartners, they're the ones that have the secret figured out. That's like it. life, life is a playground. Quit being so serious about it. Like get out there, play, do the things you care to do. You know, occasionally tell your friends, hey, watch this. And whether it goes good or bad, don't judge yourself. Just be like, hey, I'm going to try it again. <laughs> I love that. I love it. I'm going to quote you to myself on my long run this weekend. I'm going to, I'm going to get in that childlike state when it's, when it's hurting most. So I appreciate that. Any uh, parting words for our listeners here? I mean, you said it well, I feel like we did a second. great job of covering it, of, of covering a wide range of stuff. Um, I guess I, I just close with, yeah, believe in the process and don't just believe in it and like I'm going to grind through it sense, yeah. but that same playful spirit, like learn, yeah. learn to actually <clears throat> love the process. Love it. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was great having you. It was great talking to you. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, it's been great. I really appreciate it. This was a great conversation, and I do hope we get out on a run together. Dude, you you name the time and place. I, I promise I'm there. Well, everybody, that is the show. I hope you enjoyed it. More people racing more often, having more fun in the process is our mission at Athlinks. Again, thank you again to uh, Jason Hardrath. Is it at Jason Hardrath? It is, is yep. that your uh, Instagram? Uh, profile. Yep. And we'll, again, we'll include all this stuff in the show notes. Uh, the best way to support the podcast is to click subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify to be notified of new shows. Share it with anyone you think would enjoy it. Email it, text it, Twitter it, Facebook it, you get it. Um, and please just take a couple minutes, give us a quick rating and review. It helps a lot. We do a special post for each episode on Instagram. So look for the post for episode 28 with a devilishly handsome picture of Jason on it. If you have any comments or questions, we are at Athens or just shoot us an email to uh, podcast at athens.com. Again, share it with friends far and wide and help spread the word. Until next time, happy racing, everybody. That was awesome. We did it. <laughs>